So John 17, 1 to 26. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you, get, you, have, you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I prayed for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except, for the, except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you, in, you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know, does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I made you, I have made you known to them, and you will continue to make and will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them.
Well, good evening, Uni Church. It'd be great if you could leave your Bibles open. We're going to follow through the passage uh, and think about it together. If you're new um, and you're here with us the first time, a special welcome to you. It's great to have you fellowshipping with us. What do you want your nearest and dearest to know before you die? People write up a a last will and and testament before they die. We know what a will is. Uh, The the testament part is your parting message to your friends and family. Your last words to them after you've gone. Now, chances are you probably haven't had to think about writing a a testament. You know, we're all too young to die. Uh, We've got so many unexplored places to go see, so many experiences to have now. Death can feel so far away, almost like it's non-existent, off somewhere on the horizon. Uh, but war and disease have actually reminded us that death is, is near. It's got a habit of creeping up on us when we least expect it. Uh, so suddenly, having a last testament is important. What would you want to tell your nearest and dearest. Right now, uh, tell the person next to you what you want to tell your friends and family and why in 30 seconds each. Go. Excellent. Your last testament, your gut reaction response to the person next to you, it's actually a reflection of your priorities, what you think is important. In our passage that Marina read for us, Jesus is about to die. So tonight we're looking at Jesus' last will and testament, his priorities for his people. Now, a quick comment about John. Uh, He must have been an arts major. Uh, The way he expresses ideas are a little bit like uh, a crime drama, like there's pictures all over the pen board, there's red string going everywhere. It's fantastic. I love it. Um, Simple words, complex concepts. So we're going to dive in and and get some clarity. Just a quick recap on chapters 14 to 16. It's been a few weeks since we've been in John. We've seen Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, the vine, and heard about the spirit he promised to send. And in chapter 17, Jesus prays his priorities before he dies. He prays for himself, the disciples, and us. To glory, guard, and gather. Jesus asked God to glory, guard and gather so that we would live out the unity that he has brought us into. So our first point, Jesus prays for his glorification. Let's read verse 1. 
Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. At at first blush, when we read that and when we actually keep going on in the chapter, it can feel like Jesus is asking God to go full Oprah on glory. Like, you get some and they get some and they get to go and see it as well. So what is Jesus asking for exactly in verse 1? This this is what Jesus is asking. Give me your son a measurable greatness so that your son may give a measurable greatness back to you. And the father will glorify the son because the hour has come, just like they planned. How is Jesus going to get a measurable greatness? by dying, rising and leaving. It makes sense that coming back to life as king forever and leaving to be with God is immeasurably great. We can kind of get our heads around that. But how can a humiliating death by crucifixion bring glory? Because Jesus' death is going to save people. That's how it's going to bring glory. See, the person who single-handedly saves the whole universe is immeasurably great. And that's what Jesus is about to do. See, but the thing you you notice if you keep reading is that our salvation isn't the end goal of Jesus' death. The glory of the Son and the Father is the goal of everything Jesus is asking for here. Salvation through Jesus' death and resurrection for us, will be the means that the Father and the Son are glorified. The glory giving between the Father and the Son, it's a bit like this, I think. You you picture the perfect friendship. Maybe you think you've got one already, but let's be honest, we've all had moments of friction with our friends. Imagine the perfect friendship free from friction, disagreement and pain. It's only something we can kind of grasp at and not really hold on to. A friendship where you knew what the other person wanted and needed. And those things were given to each other. You know, some say the perfect relationship doesn't exist. But actually, we see it right there in John 17. It's the relationship between the father and the son. That's the perfect relationship. The, The son and the father giving each other greatness forever by saving people. So what are the implications for us? Well, one, Jesus glories God when he saves people for eternal life. And two, when Jesus saved you, that brought God glory. I wonder, does that shape your self-worth? Where do you get your self-worth from? your hobbies, your grades, family, friends, or maybe you struggle for self-worth. Whether you shape your self-worth on what you do or you struggle for self-worth, dwell on this thought. Jesus brought glory to God when he saved me. See, but when we're deep in sin or sadness, it's easy to realise we're not worth saving that there's no way we could bring the creator of the universe glory. But Jesus did bring God glory when he saved you. Not because of who you are 
or because of who I am, but because of who he is. That's what gives us any self-worth. Because of who the Son and the Father are. That's a great God to know and to keep knowing. So we've seen that Jesus prays for his glorification. Which brings us to our second point. Jesus prays that his disciples would be guarded. Uh, Pick up halfway through verse 11 with me. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Right through his ministry, Jesus has been preaching the gospel to the disciples that God gave him. But now the hour has come for Jesus to die, rise and leave. So what happens to the disciples now? Are they left in the world like sheep among wolves? Left alone at the mercy of people who are going to oppose them? Left alone to start their own blip survivors group? No, they're not. Jesus asks the Father to guard, to protect them by the power of his name. In the Bible, name's less about the the name on your birth certificate and more about your reputation based on your past acts. So someone's name tells us what that person's done in the past and, and therefore what they're capable of and what they'll do in the future. Jesus asks God to guard the disciples with the same name God gave him. And if you know the Bible, we know that God, right through the Bible, guards and guides his people. And we've seen right through John's Gospel that Jesus guarded and guided his disciples. So what are the chances out of ten that God will guard and guide Jesus' disciples? Eleven. And that guarding and guiding has a purpose. The the disciples may be one as the Father and the Son are one. How are the Father and the Son one? They're united in self-giving and gospel purpose. And the disciples are to reflect that self-giving and gospel purpose in their oneness. Those those things, that self-giving and that gospel purpose are what they are to be on about. For what purpose? So that they can create the Jesus Holy Huddle Club for Jewish ex-fishermen? No. They're not meant to become introverted, they're meant to go out. That unity is for mission. You can see it there in verse 18. Jesus has sent his disciples into the world to tell the gospel about him, about his salvation work in his death and resurrection. And so why, you notice in verse 13, Jesus says, I'm saying this for their sake. Why is he saying all that for their sake? So that the disciples will not despair, but have joy. See, the easy option for the disciples would be to despair. Jesus is leaving, like their leader's gone. What do we do now? Uh, But instead, they can have joy because they will be protected by the Father. They will remain in the world to teach the gospel but still belong to God as his sanctified, set-apart and saved people. It's a dead cert. Now, I reckon there's nothing better than the fresh green turf of a football pitch. 
And there's nothing better than a captain who's going to get up in the face of the ref and defend his team to the hilt, uh, especially against the ref's dud decisions. Jesus has been that captain who always goes over to the ref to protect his team from the ref. But now he's leaving the pitch for the last time. Who's going to protect the disciples? God is. So the disciples can play on. God will guard the disciples so they can tell the world of the gospel about the Son's glorification. The gospel that's come to us through them. See, we are brought into the same gospel that the disciples were. The gospel that demands us to be in the world, but not of the world. And so because Jesus wanted his disciples to be in the world, but on about the gospel, it's worth asking ourselves, am I a person of the world or the gospel? I'll know the answer to that question by my priorities. What are my priorities in life? The next social event, the uni degree, by some miracle owning a house? Or God's gospel work now? I'll know if the stuff of the world or God's gospel work are my priority by what I plan my life around, what I think about, what dominates my thinking and what I work towards that Jesus' priority was that the gospel went forward. What's my priority? We've seen that Jesus prayed that his disciples would be guarded for the sake of the gospel, the gospel he's now entrusted to us. Which brings us to our third point. Jesus prays that his people would be gathered in complete unity. Let's read verses 20 and 21. My prayer is not for them, the disciples, alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Some quick reactions. Uh, First up, slow down. That's all the concepts, again. Uh, And and second of all, like, things are in things and people are in there as well. Sounds like a babushka doll. It's not like that at all. Um, Let's get straight what we can and then figure out the rest. Jesus is praying for the people who will believe the disciples' gospel about Jesus' death and resurrection. That's us. That's great to know that Jesus had us in mind then. He prays that we would be one. Being one, I think, is is stronger than just being on the same page about what we believe, like we're kind of loosely affiliated. The idea of being one is more like having bonds that don't break. One's not a loose collection of individual ones, but but one. A a people permanently and completely unified 
through the gospel and under King Jesus. So what does complete unity look like? That we do all believe the one gospel of Jesus' death for sin and resurrection as king, and that we order our priorities and our relationships around the gospel, that we submit to Jesus as our king and love, love one another sacrificially as Jesus did, as Jesus loved us. It's doing things like supporting Jill and getting around mania and being part of that gospel work together. And it, it will mean giving up things like holidays and experiences to be there with that lonely, tired and sick Christian brother or sister. It'll mean even being present with the people that we don't necessarily relate to easily. The ignoring people that I don't relate to, that's the easy way out. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't say, those sinners, they're so hard to relate to, I don't really feel like dying for them today, in this hour. No, Jesus died for us, even when we wanted nothing to do with him. Jesus loved us when we didn't love him. And he asks us to love each other, to look out for each other. That's how we express the complete unity Jesus has brought us into. What do you imagine that looks like? What part are you going to play? Does that look like business as usual for you? or something altogether more radical. And Jesus prays that we would be in him and the Father, that we would belong to and abide in him and the Father forever, to be on about the priorities of the Father and the Son. That's what unity and being in him looks like. For this purpose, look at the end of verse 21. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our complete unity is meant to show complete love so that non-Christians see the goodness and beauty of Jesus and his salvation. Just like that young boy who's come to Mania and started coming to kids' church. Like that was brilliant. That's the goodness of God at work in our unity. See, in a world where exclusion is the norm, real gospel love is the church's mission. In some ways, the kind of unity Jesus is talking about here, it's a bit like this. You're in the middle of the crowded stadium, the stage lights are flashing, and the crowd is crammed at the stage. And everyone's belting out Viva La Vida. You know, Jerusalem bells are ringing and everyone's singing off the same song sheet, the same gospel, if you will, because Viva La Vida has been drilled into everyone's brain. Coldplay's literally in your head and everyone's in Chris Martin's head and he's going off and his piano stool's rocking all over the place. It's electrifying. What a mo- you know, just for a moment, though. And that's a little bit like the kind of unity Jesus is talking about here. But the unity Jesus is talking about 
It's deeper, it's permanent and wider. Deeper because the unity Jesus won at the cross is built to last because it's built in his own blood. Permanent because Jesus saves people permanently to live with him forever in the new creation. And wider because it includes people from every language, tribe and tongue and clique. Do we live out the complete unity Jesus won? See, last week, Peter asked us, have you been converted to God's gospel plan? Do you know that you've been bought with Jesus' own blood? Do you trust that? If you do, and you have been converted, you and I are not worth any more than any person in this room, which means that no one is beneath you or me. Because Jesus paid for us with his life. That's the basis for how we treat each other and interact. So here's some questions to think about. Are we cliques or a congregation? When you walk into church, who do you sit with? Why? When you get up off the pew after church... Do you gravitate to the people you relate to? And what do you talk about? Jesus didn't pray that we'd be one but many. That's, that's Qantas. Jesus just prayed that we'd be one just like the Father and the Son. And he made us one by his own blood. Jesus has gathered us into complete unity. Tonight we've looked at Jesus' last will and testament. And we've discovered that Jesus' priorities were his glory, their guarding and our gathering. Jesus has gathered us into complete unity by the gospel that was preached by the disciples his father guarded. For the glory of the Son and the Father. Jesus' priorities were clear. How will you shape your priorities around his? How will you live out the unity he has brought us into? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you that Jesus was glorified through his dying, his rising, and his exaltation. That that is the means that we are saved so that we can be your people forever. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are and who your son is. Thank you that we have heard this gospel through the witness of the disciples and those who followed them. Please help us to live out the complete unity you have gathered us into. Please help us to look out for each other and love each other. 
so that the world may see the goodness and beauty of Jesus and his salvation. For his sake and your sake. Amen.